Welcome to The Future of What. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. We've talked before about how everyone in the modern music industry needs to be concerned with their mental health, as well as what various companies are doing to help. On today's episode, we talked to Dr. Chaim Newman of Amber Health about his findings concerning mental health in our industry, from touring artists to crew to executives. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lick the crumbs from your table? Can I interfere in your crisis? No, mind your own business. No, mind your own business. My guest today is Dr. Chaim Newman from Amber Health. Dr. Newman, welcome to The Future of What? Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. So um, can you just explain to everybody what is Amber Health and, and what are you guys up to that is related to the music industry? Yeah. So Amber Health is the next iteration in a journey we've now been on for you know most of the last decade. You know, My partner, Zach Borer, and I are now a a uh, fast-growing team of human beings, uh, <laughs> most of whom come from the music industry, who are sort of leading the charge for boots-on-the-ground support uh, from a mental health perspective of people in the music industry at all levels, you know, tours, festivals, companies, production companies, record, record labels, management companies, pretty much at every role that you could be in this uh, challenging and stressful industry that we all love very dearly. <laughs> Being able to be on the ground supporting the human beings on the front lines uh, from a mental health perspective, that's what we do. That's awesome. Yeah, we really started to notice and talk about the mental health of everybody in the music industry in during the pandemic, because obviously that you know affected every single person, because that was crazy town. And looking back, I'm amazed that we all made it through, and those of us who did make it through, not everyone did, I guess. Well, and 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 just to say, you know, I, we've been thinking about this a lot recently uh, as a as a team, and I've been thinking a lot about this personally, which is, you know, we always equate the closest industry that we know to the music industry even though people wouldn't think intuitively this probably wouldn't be their first guess, is actually the military, right? You've got high stress, you're away from home, there's this like band of brothers and sisters mentality, you're either an insider or you're an outsider. Like there are strangely a lot of parallels. And one of the things that happens in the military is, you know, in the heat of battle, people are kind of usually pretty okay. And it's only sometimes months or even years later that the effects of the trauma begins to show up in various ways in their life. And I think that's true with some of the trauma that people in this industry go through. And I think that's probably true globally with the pandemic is, you know, like you say, well, like we're kind of through it and, you know, well, that was then and now we're like back to normal. And I think I think we haven't as a uh, as a humanity, like probably globally begun to see how far reaching the the PTSD and the uh, long-lasting uh, mental health and emotional effects of the pandemic. I don't even think it's hit us yet. Oh, I think you're totally right. And especially as a parent, you know, we look, I look at my 12-year-old son and, you know, he lost two years of not only school, but like human interaction with other people his age. You know, it was just, what are the long-term effects going to be on the kids from this experience? Totally. We have no, you know, we really don't know. 
Totally. Uh, yeah, but we know that they're a probably not going to be pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> and B is that we really need to be mindful and, and keeping an eye for it and paying attention to it, which at least will give us a fighting chance to address it as it starts to show up, right? Rather than sort of being naive or that that hopeful, you know, sort of intentional blindness of like we're good now. And I think in this industry, that's something that uh, we really have, you know, we've kind of emphasized in all the work we do. And so when we're encountering uh, teams and communities and people in this industry is just talking to them about like, hey, keep an eye for how this shows up for you when you start to notice it showing up. Absolutely. No, I think you're totally right. So you guys have published a white paper um, and and you look at one of the things, I mean, I love your analogy with the military because one of the things that's weird about the music industry is that if you are a successful artist, you actually spend more of your time away from home on the road doing this thing, which is kind of weird, right? Like this, the whole, I've been a touring musician. I know all about it. You know, you leave and you have this disassociative situation where you're like, you know, far away from all your family and friends and you're doing this very specific weird thing with this certain group of people for long periods of time and you keep doing it. You keep going back out on the road over and over. It's like tours of duty. Um, Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we even call it tours, right? Like in the military, right? Mm -hmm. That's literally how how many tours have you served on, right? You can imagine asking, you know, the keyboard tech that was like, (laughs) how many tours have you done? Well, I've been on nine tours. You know, there was this one in Europe and it's like, it's like in the military. Well, there was this one in Afghanistan and this one in Iraq, right? Right. So what are you finding in terms of the effects on folks' mental health of of this type of lifestyle? You know, I think one piece of it, and while there are a myriad of effects, which we can talk about, it's just interesting just to touch on something that you sort of raised, which is, you know, we always think of like a healthy human being from a mental health perspective as an integrated human being, which is like you show up uh, as you in all of your experiences, right? Like your values are your values, your patterns of behavior are your patterns. And of course, you know, flexibility is key and we need to modify, you know, how we talk based on who we're talking to, right? And you're not gonna talk to your, you know, peer in your office the same way you're gonna talk to your 12 year old kid, right? And so with the flexibility, but we wanna have like an integrity of like, this is who I am and the who I am doesn't really change. Uh, And we think of that as like integrated and healthy. And then when you think about the touring world, let's say you just described it, right? Like there's, it's almost like people are fractured into, well, there's like who I am on tour and there's who I am at home. And like their behavior patterns might look totally different. Their self-care patterns might look totally different, how they relate to people, right? You know, in the way, like how much ego they express or how they communicate or their role in the social hierarchy might look totally different on tour and then off tour. And I think people really struggle with that. There's like, it's hard to then, you know, move between those two and you get a lot of tension and distress that happens when people leave home to go on tour. And then when they leave tour and come back home, I think it really, it's hard to integrate. Absolutely. I remember it makes me think of, um, I'm, you know, middle-aged so i remember you know when david lee roth left van halen and uh hagar sammy hagar came in and i remember reading because i used to read the trades all the time when i was a kid that they took their kids on tour and that 
once Hagar was in the band, they they went on tour with their kids and they called it the Toys R Bus. Ah, and, I like that. And I remember that was the first time I ever read about people who were rock stars, who were musicians, who actually tr- did anything that integrated family into what they were doing. Because, you know, in general, it's like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? It's like a completely separate lifestyle. Totally. Yeah, it's a really interesting you know, that model, which obviously, you know, takes a certain, you got to be touring a certain level to be able to take your kids and your, you know, rock nanny. And, uh, <laughs> and sometimes it's schooling your kids on the road. If you're, you know, doing a world tour or it's a long album cycle of touring, right? You literally, your kids might be going to school on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's not, not everyone's gonna, you know, be able to do that. It's almost, I sometimes think about it the other way of like, what can we be doing when you're on your own on the road touring that holds a little bit of a consistency and integration with the healthier ways that you live at home, right? And mm-hmm. and one of the things I talked to, we talked to artists a lot about and touring crew is, uh, is anchor behaviors, you know, having these small little behaviors, whether they're five minutes, 10 minutes a day, could be a meditative type behavior, a stretching behavior, a physical activity behavior, a a spiritual behavior, a prayer thing. I mean, it doesn't almost matter what it is as much as having some behavior or series of behaviors that every day of your life you engage in. And it doesn't matter whether you're on the road or you're at home. It's like you're not engaging in it because I'm in this particular place. You're engaging in it because this is who I am. This is a meaningful part of my experience. And those behaviors become the thread that weaves together all the different contexts that you live in. Absolutely. And to sort of in, integrate into this conversation, the music business executives, because, you know, the people who work in the industry also have kind of a weird situation. I mean, I don't do it anymore because, like I said, I'm middle-aged. I'm not going to say I'm old anymore <laughs> because there's other people who are older. <laughs> but, you know, I have I have a kid. Like, I, I don't go out at night the way I used to, but I used to be, you know, six nights a week, out till 4 a.m. Sure. And that's, you know, and I I had a job that whole time. So it's not like I didn't have to get up in the morning, get ready and go to work. I did. But we, you know, in this industry, there are so many people have that sort of weird double job, right? Where at night you're supposed to be out in the clubs, especially if you're in the A&R business, the management business, you know, you you have to be on that tip too. And then, and that's exactly the same because, you know, that's when people drink, that's when people do drugs, you know, that's when things get crazy and are not the same as your nine to five self. Well, and, and we tell ourselves that it's like, you know, that's a key part of our job. And, and maybe it is in some way, the networking, and the relationship building and the scouting talent, if you're an A&R, right? Like, you know, it's like, yeah, that's really critical. And you're like, I could never miss that. I could never say no. I mean, I still fall like I'm not even in, in that side of it. And I'm still out at four shows a week. And sometimes I have to train myself to be like, you know what? It's okay to nurture myself by by saying no tonight and just <laughs> sitting on my couch and doing, you know, half hour breathing exercises, and going to bed at 11 o'clock. Um, <laughs> but it's hard, right? We're, we, we say this all the time in so many of the workshops that we run with, you know, the different companies and entities in this industry is like, you know, it's like it's like this industry is, you know, also parallels sort of the improv world, right? Like, what do they always tell you? What's the one rule of improv? Yes, and right, exactly. Like, you're never allowed to say no to anything, right? And that's that's what this industry we've been 
you know, sort of acculturated to like, don't ever say no to things. And, you know, it's like most people, if you're working on the industry side, in some ways, we probably don't even feel like we have permission to be able to be like, actually, no, I'm going to skip this thing tonight. You know, like my health needs something else. My family needs something else. Oh, absolutely. Um, no, you're absolutely right. And that and that's a choice that you do find yourself making. I mean, I, you know, I, I have to be home every night to cook dinner for my kid and put him in bed. Now, I have a husband who can also do that. So sometimes we take turns and one of us will go out and the other one will stay home. But, you know, you need not everyone has a partner. You know, I mean, these, these totally. are serious decisions that, that you have to make, you know, or are you, are you going to pay for a babysitter every single night, you know, and never see your kid, which is, you know, hey, some kids, you don't want to see them. <laughs> fair, fair enough fair enough but <laughs> well it's interesting by the way even that it's like that also brings up kind of an interesting point which is we've been chatting about this recently with uh with a bunch of touring people that we uh that we support in this notion of like how much of touring do we sometimes use as an escape right mm. we hear this all the time where it's like people or, or you might think of it the other side maybe if you're not in the tour side it's like getting in the studio which has that same kind of vibe that it could be 18 hour days and it's like checked out from the rest of your life yeah. where it's like oh when things wobble at home and maybe there's like tension in our relationships or maybe there's you know conflict or distress right rather than working through our experience which would be potentially the healthier way we're just like oh let me go pick up a tour Oh, oh, my artist is in the studio for the next month. I'm going to go, uh, I need to be there to like watch the creative process, right? right? And we almost like, sometimes I think we're really good and humans in general are really good at running away from uh, the things that are difficult in our lives. And, you know, avoidance is almost easier than uh, meeting our suffering and our vulnerable places head on. And I think sometimes in this industry, we probably use the really fun, magical experiences of this industry less because they're meaningful and, you know, and sometimes more because it's like a really cool place to escape to. Yeah. And that really brings up something interesting, which is, you know, that magical sense of unreality, right? That escape part of this. It does feel like, I mean, I absolutely agree 100%. I can, you know, feel it in my body just thinking about it right now. I mean, it's like you go to a show or, you know, wherever you go and you're like, oh, I just dropped all my responsibilities. Like I'm free. You know, you have this moment of feeling that way. And so it's like what you're saying from a mental health perspective is, you know, we have to find a way to stay integrated, to stay grounded and still be able to have fun and experience our jobs as magical and enjoyable. And I think the only way we do that truly, probably in all of our life, the only way we can really experience things, as you say, as magical and enjoyable is if first we're willing to approach that which is vulnerable, which is unsettling that like you got to be willing to go to the dark places in our life and and do the work of making peace with them. And whether that's acceptance or boundaries or just talking about it openly. But, you know, when we meet the difficult things in our life head on, either internal things like emotional things or uh, interpersonal things, when we're willing to meet those things head on then that frees us from that pattern of escapism, right? I don't need to run away from it anymore because I'm facing things head on, which then allows me to lean into all those other things, not in this like escapist, avoidant, band-aid-y sort of way, but I can do it because that's where I actually want to be or because there's something meaningful in that experience. And so we choose the things because we actually want to choose them 
rather than because I need them to get away from something else. Mm, I love that. I feel like I could think about that for about two hours. <laughs> just quietly think about that because, you know, that brings up the whole, you know, when you're when you're young, I'm just thinking about when you start out in this industry, most people are younger. And and the first time you went to a, sh- a rock show that was magical, the reason it it made you so happy was purely the experience, right? And then totally. what ends up happening is as we get older and it becomes our job, you know, layers happen, right? Like, oh, this is actually the way I get away from my annoying family or whatever. So what else, I mean, do you you want to leave us with something, you know, for, I mean, I think what you said about a, a small practice each day is really important. You know, something that keeps you you throughout, you know, throughout your life, whether you're at home or on the road or wherever. Is there anything else that, any advice you give to folks sort of in general? Well, so it's interesting. I mean, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm never a huge advice giver in therapy. I always like to, um, you know, leave people with things to think about more than, you know, kind of telling people what they should, what they could and should do, especially because, you know, everyone's always, we're always looking for the fix. It's like, mm-hmm. give me the thing that's going to like magically solve my experience. <laughs> right. And all of us, myself included, we all look for that. Right. It's kind of like part of our human, uh, our human condition is to look for that. And I always feel like, ah, there's no fix, you know, that's like instant. It's like about learning how to engage the world in a different way. And there are two things that I would, you know, that I think are are worth talking about a little bit. One of them is, you know, so we just published another paper uh, that came out in the last two months in a journal called Psychology of Music. And it's a really interesting paper the premise is this, there's basically two parts to it. One part is the like not surprising part. And the other part is the really interesting part. The uh, not surprising part is what we discovered, you know, studying hundreds of uh, touring professionals was this, there's a direct pathway between different components of our sort of mental health outcome. And, and the pathway is this, which is the higher your stress level is on tour. So the more stress you experience, uh, the more likely you are to be at risk of depression, And then the higher your risk of depression, the more likely you are to be at risk of uh, serious suicidality, right? Which is the ultimate outcome that we're all trying to, you know, uh, reduce the incidence of in this industry, right? And so, so that's like the not shocking part. More stress leads to more depression, leads to more suicide risk, you know, and you'd be like, well, that's kind of obvious, right? And it is kind of obvious. The second thing that we found, which I think was, this is, and I mean, to me, it's really interesting, but I'm also like a, you know, PhD research nerd and (laughs) recognizing that not every uh, person listening to this podcast, you know, working in some sector of this industry might, uh, might be as interested in this as I am. But I think that the impact of this is really huge, which is this people's level of mindfulness, right, which is the capacity to stay in the present moment, as opposed to our mind, sitting in all the muck of our past, or worried about all the things of the future, and also to sit in the present non judgmentally, and rather than I like this experience. I don't like this experience, kind of like fighting against what shows up. It's the capacity to learn how to just be with the like, this is the what is it's kind of like ride the wave that's there instead of fighting the waves. So that the higher that people's level of mindfulness is, it turns out it doesn't affect their stress level at all, right? Because touring is stressful and working 17 hours a day and being a long way from home and having to live with 11 other people on a tour bus and 
you know, it's like, and you could just extrapolate this to the other versions, right? Working in an office in a management company or an agency and trying to juggle all the artists on your roster and like take care of people in the way that you need to and get all the deadlines then, right? It's like, that's stressful. And it turns out no matter how mindful you are, it doesn't make the stress go away. But what it does is it breaks the relationship between stress and the other bad mental health outcomes like depression and suicide risk. So what you get when you train people and the beauty of mindfulness is we can train people in that and we do a ton of work uh, with almost every tour, festival team, production company, record label, like almost every client that we work with in this industry, we're doing a bunch of mindfulness training with them because in part we know that it's like we can't make their career less stressful but what we can do is by increasing that skill set and the capacity to move through the moments in a different way, even at maximum stress level, that doesn't turn into depression. It doesn't turn into suicide risk. And we learn how to handle. It's almost like the weight on the bar doesn't get less, but our muscles get bigger. And we learn how to handle things in a different way. And I think that's something, uh, at least for people worth thinking about, is you know, like that tool needs to be a tool in every person's toolbox. For anybody listening to this, it's like the change in this industry of this industry becoming a more compassionate, more thoughtful and a more sustainable place from mental health and an emotional and a relationship perspective. Uh, like we all need to be a part of that change. So, you know, we at Amber are trying to like build the programs and, you know, deliver the programs on the ground. But every person, no matter whether you're a part of a management company, agency, label, publishing house, whatever, it doesn't matter. Wherever you are, you can advocate within your organization for things like support and programming, even if it's one day a year of having a team come in to be able to help open this conversation within the community. And we all have the opportunity to champion within our communities uh, a better music industry. And I think in the end, that's what, you know, it's like we can't do this alone. And it's really great to have this conversation on this podcast. Uh, but everybody listening also can make a huge, huge difference just by becoming advocates for the humanizing of this industry. So it's uh, it's nice to be partnered with all of you in making this a little bit of a uh, more nurturing place. Amazing. Dr. Chaim Newman of Amber Health, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Appreciate you. And that's our show. Our theme song is Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five and is played by permission. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Today's show was engineered by Clark Buckner at Relationary Marketing in Nashville and was produced by Dana Rogers and Henrik Bick. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. See you next time. Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lick the crust?